welcome back to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. I am just one of your hosts, one of four. My name is Lawrence, and I'm joined by two Daniels and a Jack as well. So once again, we're very pleased to be joining you in your ears, whether you're on a walk, getting some steps in, whether you're in the car. Hopefully you're not at the gym, because I think maybe training and listening to podcasts is a bit weird. But hey, that's just what we think. But either way, we hope that you are getting the job done. Now, I wanted to start off today with something a little bit different because we learned something over the past week, gentlemen. Maybe not all of us caught it, but I certainly learned something. So I learned that our friend DY calls his girlfriend baby girl. And um, look, that's not for me to judge. We'll leave that to the listeners. But I thought it could be an interesting segue into what do the other boys call their significant others? So DY, first, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I think girls love being called baby girl. I thought that was like the name that they wanted to be called. So, you know, I'm not to go against the grain. Hey, if they love it, they love it. I'll have to give it to them. But that being said, when I say them, I only mean one girl. Like, you know, (laughs) I just thought I'd clarify that before Lani listens to it. Just a quick Google search. What should I call my girlfriend? (laughs) Mate just doesn't cut the mustard sometimes. No, no, I don't think that would go down well. (laughs) What about you there, DC? What do you call Nicole? uh i guess baby yeah okay. that, that would probably be what i what i call her see i think i've once called Gemma babe because i'm not gonna lie i was trying to be cool in front of my friends and it just sounded so terrible out of my mouth that i've never been able to do it again what about you jack yeah i would be the same as you lawrence like uh, i it's just tiara from me really no babe no <laughs> really? baby girl Damn, even like a little different nickname, like, or is it always just Tierra? Yeah, it's always Tierra. Like, I know some, like, you call her T sometimes. I've never called her T. I used to call her Tiara, and then her family (laughs) got up me for that. So I switched to Tierra, which is the proper Canadian pronunciation. Does she call you anything other than Jack? Uh, If you asked her, she'd probably answer that. But I think that's maybe if we ever get her on the podcast, she'd. I'll leave that up to her to say. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Peach daddy. Puppy. Fire out. But yeah, I was just more interested. And um, I think it's one of those things where it's like, there's like always going to be like the weird nicknames here and there, or sometimes it's just the classic stuff. So I was more so just interested to what Jack would say, to be honest, because I was hoping you'd come out with something rogue, but. Alas, that's fine. And I also, gentlemen, before we get into a few of the updates, I wanted to just set settle a debate that I was having with my sister over the weekend. Now, what do you think tastes better, bottled water or tap water? What kind of arguments are you guys having? <laughs> no, it just sort of came to my mind because someone was drinking bottled water and I sort of thought to myself, like, I actually, I hate that first sip of bottled water because it tastes like artificial and it tastes a bit weird. I don't know what it is, but I actually prefer the taste of tap water. And they said I was absolutely crazy. So I wanted to see what you boys think. What about you, DY? We're really uh, bringing the content here at BDU. Mate, these are the questions. These are the hard-hitting ones that we need answered. So if I the- Filtered water, though, or normal tap water? Like filtered tap water? Straight tap. Just water out of a tap. Okay. If I had the option between two, like bottled and tap water, I would go with bottled. Fun fact, in prep, I actually ran bottled water only just because I felt like it was just helping me get my water intake in. Like as soon as I would wake up, I would have a bottle. As soon as I was about to go to train, I would grab one of the two liter bottles and put my pre and everything in that when I got home. But I don't know if I had the option, I would always probably go bottled water. Do I notice a very big difference? Not really. And it's an expensive difference too. Cause when you think about dropping bottled water and the amount you have in prep, you're probably looking at 30 bucks a week on bloody bottled water. DY was probably buying that Evian, like top of the range. It's fair and no expense for the Mount waters. Franklin. Come on. The Voss glass, glass. Bottle. Yeah. The glass bottles, <laughs> $5 a bottle of water. Jack on like a nutritional front, is there a big difference? Yeah. I mean, some people are concerned about the, I can't remember the exact nutrient. Unfortunately, it escapes me. Is but it it's fluoride? The one, fluoride. That's it. Yeah. Some people are very concerned about that. Like they have these special machines that take the fluoride out of the water, out of tap water. And uh, I mean, nutritionally, no, we're kind of really splitting hairs at that point. And I mean, fluoride is intentionally added to water anyway uh, by the government to help with dental health. So 
I mean, that's potentially a reason to be having uh, tap water. Like I, I've only ever really had tap water. I've never intentionally drunk bottled water for that reason to avoid anything from the taps. Yeah, speaking of the dentist, I recently had a checkup and I think some of the, my wisdom teeth are coming through. They're not giving me any grief, but I actually, I couldn't help but think to myself, like if I did have my wisdom tooth out and I was like in the middle of a mass, like how difficult that would be. Like, would you just bite the bullet and just like not eat for a day and risk just dropping all that weight? Or do you think you'd try and just blend a whole lot up? I don't know what I'd do. I mean, I've been there before when sick, like, and I just haven't felt like eating. And I've, I've just gone the blended route. As have you ever like, blended meat? No, I have. I've never ventured that far. Like I've, I've just taken the nutritional shortcut, which is to like use protein shakes and oats and flour, nuts and seeds, etc., which doesn't taste disgusting when blended. What about you, DC? Have you blended any chicken oh, or anything like that? Are you drinking olive oil straight out of the bottle <laughs> on, on the same caliber as blending blending your steak? No, no, <laughs> no way. No, I can't think of anything worse. I'll stick to like oats, some milk and some blueberries in a, in a shake for sure. <laughs> Did any of you see that video of like the IFBB pro bodybuilder back in the day? And I think he had like frozen cooked chicken breasts and then he would put like baby spinach in it and then like water. And, he, and then it was like oats in there as well. He's like, how bad do you want it? He's like, I'm not eating that protein crap. He's like real food only. I was like, oh my God, that's disgusting. Yeah, I was watching Brett Wilkin the other day and he was having like a chicken shake on the go. And I was like, man, that <laughs> must be awful. Like people say it tastes like soup, but I don't know, man. Like that's bad. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, on the intention of it doesn't really take you that much longer just to sit down for five minutes and, and eat your chicken. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you really saving that much time? Additionally, you're having to like to blend it. You have to transfer it to a cup. You put away your blender, you clean it. Like there's additional time involved in that, right? So yeah. I, I do know someone who I used to train with at UQ gym and he used to have chicken shakes on the daily. Like he would fill up those like Mount Franklin water bottles with chicken shake and he would meal prep it and freeze it and then defrost it. And yeah, absolutely dank. Oh, hey, <laughs> oh, that's hey. terrible. If it tickles your fancy, I say you can do whatever you want to do, but there's no way I'm ever getting caught with a bloody chicken shake when there's, so, when there's protein powder in the, uh, you go chicken milk. thighs or chicken breast though. I, I normally go chicken breast always like what like this no yeah, yeah no, no, no. <laughs> i think you'd have to go thigh <laughs> there's no other way yeah get the crumbs stuff in there that'd be at least maybe tolerable mm. chicken snitty in there <laughs> yeah a little bit of chicken snitty in the old uh, shake but anyway boys thank you for scratching that itch for me i'll report back to my sister with that info but a very conclusive decision there yeah look tons of value in there tons of value so we'll go around the circle as per and just hear a little bit about everybody's weeks so mr dc can you please just update us how's the last week been mate yeah man nothing really nothing really to report from the training side of things i oh my god what's the most exciting thing that happened last week uh I tried a belt squat for the first time in, yeah, basically the first time I've ever included a belt squat within a session, which was pretty cool. It was just off the cuff. I was supposed to do a reverse, uh, reverse V squat and somebody was using the machine. I didn't have a whole lot of time in my, my session left. So I was just like, Hey, I'll give it a crack. And it felt awesome. Actually. I, I think I'll probably try and include it within my next program rotation just to kind of change it up a little bit. I don't know about you boys, but every time you go to a new gym and there's like a new piece of equipment and you've never used it before, like it's it's obviously really exciting to be able to, to give it a crack. So it's been sitting there for a while and every time I train, I look at it and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't mind giving that a go. So yeah, I might include that in the next rotation for, uh, for more of a sort of quad bias um, movement. And nutritionally, things are holding pretty steady at this point in time. We haven't made any further increases I'm still making some relatively like steady increases in body weight each week. So no point in pushing the cows in anymore if I'm achieving the rate of gain that I'm you know looking for. So yeah, that's kind of where it's at. What brand was the bell squat, mate? Oh God, putting me on the spot. I can't remember. Did, did you have a look at it, Jack, when you came and trained it at Brenda? Uh, no, I didn't, unfortunately. I want to say Arsenal, but yeah, I'm not 100% sure. That's what I'm thinking as well. I think it might be an arsenal. Yeah, they're great pieces. Hey, they're just tough. Like, and I find 
you need to find a gauge between like how much you're actually using your arms because it's very tempting to like help yourself out of the hole but that's kind of where we're getting the most bang for our buck like coming out of that lengthened position but yeah at one of the gyms i train at they've got a belt squat and it's a pretty nice piece i think that one's the valhalla belt squat that's pretty good mm. and i think they've got a few at powerhouse as well but um yeah good piece especially you know cutting out a little bit of lower back loading just really smash the quads up well, it's just if you want to add a movement like like you said that has a little bit less i guess fatiguing volume like if you want to add in an extra squat pattern but you didn't want to load your erectors and and potentially you know additional fatigue to the lower back then obviously the belt squat is a is a great alternative to to maybe doing like a leg press or something like that really yeah definitely mr radford smith any more food this week sir oh well i'm actually deloading this week so ah, yes yeah something yet again something that's worthy of a discussion i think and i was at the end of my training block so six weeks and i very routinely deload on the seventh week so i don't necessarily uh set it on a schedule it is quite water regulated but it just happens that i get whether it's like a conditioned i've conditioned myself into thinking i need it every seventh week but i was certainly fatigued i was looking forward to a deload and uh my dog one of my dogs boston's been uh had, had his bits chopped off this week so i took the opportunity to stay home with him because he can't he can't run or anything and uh yeah complete rest from the gym usually i would get in there for a session or two but so far, I've had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off. If I can go in tomorrow, I will just for a, a devolume session and then hopefully get back to normal training on Saturday. Yeah, nice. How's uh, Big Boston holding up, mate? Yeah, he's, he's doing good. He's, he hates being inside, but that's a, that's a border collie for you. Yeah, so like with de-sexing the dogs, like was he displaying like masculine traits that were becoming like a problem? Not necessarily a problem, but it's a requirement from the breeder for our particular breeder that they don't want their dogs being bred. So we need to get them desexed, which is is okay with us. And there is a risk like of if he once he continues to mature of him like jumping fences to get to a, a female dog and heat and stuff like that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And uh is Sam already desexed? Yes, she is, yeah. So no more reproduction for the TBD dogs, but they're both Fortunately they're not. both on the mend yes no that's good mate and in terms of your deload like with the d volume how intense is that session for you are you still backing off like a little bit further away from failure yeah so i know aj is a big fan of the d volume which i'd never actually done prior to working with him and essentially it's a similar intensity like there's no objective guidelines that we walk through but a fairly similar intensity so maybe close to zero reps in reserve across most movements but it's literally just one set per exercise and i'll either do that or to be honest sometimes i just like taking the intensity down because i don't think there's anything magical about a d volume for me and the benefit of just taking it easy in terms of volume and intensity is like it gives my cns a bit of a break where that is usually the thing that's gone towards the end of a block because i do train so intensely like my cns is is uh is ready for a break yeah because that's also i think been my qualm i guess you could say with the d volume like you're still getting in there and taking everything to failure and really pushing it like psychologically you're never really getting a break mm. and i find that's as much fatigued by the end of the block as your body is yeah for sure i i agree with you on that so i guess it's quite case dependent and like i think a good example is for example, on Saturday, technically I wouldn't have finished my deload by then, but I might just go in and do a D volume because my CNS is feeling ready to go. I feel, feel G'd up for the session, but maybe I want a bit of extra recovery. So I'll lower the volume. Yeah, cool. Very sound reasoning there, mate. Mm -hmm. And uh, DY, bring it home, mate. How's the week been? How's it all going training wise, food wise? Yeah, everything's been going perfect. So this week, instead of a D-volume week, I slightly increased my volume on like that fourth and fifth week. Uh, I was progressing very smoothly, didn't have any real issues. So I uh, talked to Joe and we pretty much increase like a set here and there on a couple of exercises that I want to prioritize and drive up a little bit more. So everything went great there. 
Um, but one thing I wanted to, I have like a little bit of a story. I told the boys beforehand, I didn't tell them the actual story, but uh, I figured it could be a little bit different than giving you the lowdown for the week. So have you, any of you boys ever used sniffing salts? No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was like, you know what? I'll give, I'll give it a, I'll give it a whirl. Like I bought them like, you know, like 10 bucks online or something from loaded lifting. I was like, you know what? I'll give them a shot. Like, you know, have a little bit of shits and gigs with them. Like one every now and again. So I got them. And I, I, when I thought about sniffing salts, I was just like, all right, these are just going to be like a very strong smell. I didn't think it was going to be like anything crazy. Like, you know, you put it under your nose and it like hits you like a truck. So what I, what I did was it, it's pretty much like, um, like a champagne bottle. Like, let's say it like that. Like it's got like a little plastic film across the top, but I didn't know that this shit is like ready to pop as soon as you like crack open the lid. So I've done is I've like put it on my mouth, like, you know, to peel back the plastic layer with my mouth and boy, did I like, it wasn't the smell, but it like has, it just pretty much just exploded in my mouth. And it was like this burning, like, oh, it was the worst thing ever. Like I literally could taste nothing but salt for like a straight day. And the whole top layer of my lips, like literally just came off. Like the skin just came off. It was that bad. I literally just thought it would have been straight, like a very strong smell, but Boy, did I learn the hard way. So I've been in a training session before where one of, one of my friends uh, who, who was a powerlifter at the time, he would always smell them before he'd go in for his working sets. And I'd never, <laughs> never taken a sniff before. And it was just before I was about to hit a set and he just walks up to me and just puts it right in front of my nose. And you don't even need to take a big whiff, right? As soon as it gets underneath your nose, it's just like being kicked in the mouth. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know exactly what it's like. Yeah, it was like, uh, I just like, oh, like, you know what? It'll only smell like really strong. Like it won't have anything else to it. They're just going to be really strong, like smelling salts. So I peeled it back on my mouth and boy, oh boy, did I learn. So mm. there, there was that. So does that mean DY is no longer Natty? Yeah. I guess it's the equivalent of being like dipped in an acid pool and turning, getting uh, superhuman powers, I think. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah, how did how did you go with the actual lift DC when you tried it? Did did you perform well on it? To be fair, I don't think it actually helped me at all because it was more like I wasn't expecting it. It's like he just literally just put it in front of me, so it was more like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I yeah, actually going, "Yeah, I'm going to use this as a means of you know getting more out of my set." I think I actually stopped and was like, "What the hell was that?" <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think you need to be able to channel that energy, and once the first time you do it, maybe it's too much of a shock to the. CNS to actually focus on it, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you could imagine it just absolutely rattling you and it's probably about getting actually used to it because I used to watch in some of JP's videos, he'd like get it under his nose before like, you know, a set of just about anything to be fair. And oh man, it looks it looks horrible. Like, like I don't, now that I think of it, I think I have had a friend who had it, but he just kind of like wafted it. Like I didn't take a proper sniff I just kind of smelt the air around it. And even that was enough for me to go like, okay, that's some serious stuff. But yeah. it just, I think if you're going to use them, don't eat them like DY chose to. <laughs> that's probably not the correct mode of administration. Uh, uh, I did not expect that. But now you've just come out about that. Uh, technically, you half natty since you did have a slight whiff of them. Is that what I just heard there? <laughs> the secret's out. Jack is the only natty guy on this podcast at the moment. I mean, I do take creatine though. That's yeah, true. That's true. Not natty. Half natty. Yeah. Another thing is, um, I remember you talking about the dentist before, Lawrence, when you were going back. Have you ever told your dentist that pretty much you have like intra workout calves free training at all? No, why would that be an issue? Because <laughs> every time I like go to my dentist, they're like, they're like, they're actually into fitness, which is like, you know, I guess a little bit different. And they're just in shock when they hear me like drinking carbohydrates and like high levels of sugar through my teeth. They're like, Oh my God. They're like, this guy's teeth are about to rot. So every time I go there, they like drill me. They're like, so are you still on the uh, intra workout? I'm like, uh, no comment. <laughs> Maybe in, I guess you could kind of like pour it down your throat mm. rather than, I think Switch as long as you mouth. rinse your mouth out afterwards with water, it helps a lot. Yeah. They, they, they said that pretty much like, like after you have a sip, you want to kind of wash it down with water. So mm. it's just not sitting in your teeth and you don't want to like slosh it around. But yeah. yeah. So every time they go there, I just, yeah, I drink it through a straw, I promise. So they think I'm like sitting <laughs> there in the gym with like a little umbrella straw, like, you know, in between every one of my work and set, sipping intra-workout through a straw. 
Speaking of uh, dental strips, did you guys have any changes to your teeth through your contest prep? Did you notice like, I started to notice because I was drinking so much coffee, usually having like three or four a day, that like the bottom, my bottom teeth started to actually get stained. It was horrible. And Maybe that's because you were smoking cigarettes, DC. Now, but it's, yeah, it's appetite suppressant. Can you guys do that? Like, no, definitely not. But um, yeah, I think just because of consuming so much damn uh, damn coffee, it actually stained my teeth. Yeah, yeah. actually, I can't say I've noticed it, but recently I think my dad was saying that his dentist told him to stop drinking Pepsi Max because apparently that's not good for the teeth. So it's all against mm. us here. Yeah, when I actually talked to my dentist about it, they said the sugar-free stuff like is actually not too bad. It's not like as good as water, but they're like it's definitely nowhere near as bad as like full sugar drinks. So, I guess it's just like any other profession. Everyone, every professional has their own opinions. Like some some nutritionists say artificial sweeteners are bad, which I don't believe in. But it goes to show there's different takes on everything. We asked Lauren who ate the bag of sugar-free lollies. He'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're no good mate they're no good but if you're looking to uh you know speed up the old git you know about six grams of sorbitol will do it yeah exactly but yeah in terms of uh my envoys not too much to report had a bit of an increase to the carbohydrates and a little bit of a bump in fats as well this week after chatting to joey and then we're just going to pretty much keep things the same for another two weeks just going to be checking in fortnightly now which is good but training performance was awesome last week and I've had two good sessions again this week. So just feeling really up and about, you know, you just get in a little bit of that purple patch where everything's just firing on all cylinders and appetite feels good. Training feels good. So I think it's just going to be a matter of rinsing that out for as long as I can and um, just keep doing the do. But other than that, it's been a pretty standard week. So uh, unless you boys have anything to add, we can crack into some questions. What do you reckon? Let's do it. Beautiful. All right. So, we did have one of the listeners who sent in a question by the DMs rather than the poll. And we definitely encourage you guys to do that, especially if it's a bit of a longer question and you want to add a bit more context. So he asks, hey, fellas, just thought I would pop a question in. What is one of the things or some of the things you would consider have held you back in progressing as much as you would like? And he basically just added a bit of context saying that he's been having some issues with some health stuff and it's been holding back his progress. So he was just wondering in our cases, maybe what are some instances, whether it be family, work, study, other life circumstances that have maybe gotten in the way of our bodybuilding progressions. So DY, I'll let you kick it off, mate. So I'm trying to think like after my first ever prep, I truly didn't track my lifts like I do now. And like I did even like, in my second prep as well like after my first prep i just was kind of willy-nilly just trained however i wanted before i went to prep again so i think that cost me a large amount of my progress but there's obviously that obvious one there as well which was covid um when that happened like i pretty much like the progress was quite limited if not i was probably like maintaining like so those are the biggest two for me but uh, i would probably say like being in a relationship as well. Like I know at the start with Alana, it was extremely productive because like we were both like ticking the boxes. She was competing. I was competing, but ever since she's kind of dwindled away from that competing side of it now herself, I find like it is a little bit harder because she'll want to go on holidays and all this. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm in such a productive spot at the moment or like a mini cutting or something like that. So I feel like that has held me back a tiny little bit but not to the point where it's ever like detrimental. I work around it, but I feel like those two were the biggest two, which would have been post-show where I didn't track my lifts or my nutrition. I pretty much just kind of pissed away like a year of gains that could have been more optimized. And then obviously COVID-19. How bad do you want to do? Why make the choice? Yeah, yeah she's <laughs> off. She's gone. I've cut her off as oh, of now. Just dropped the message. But I suppose that's like the thing. It's like, there's always going to be trade-offs and you just need to be able to make the decision of whether or not that trade-off is worth it. So for example, even if you are quite a high level bodybuilder and you have a kid and you now have a little boy or a little girl to take care of, and that impacts maybe what would have been optimal progress. Like obviously in 99% of cases, people are going to say that's a very worthwhile trade-off. So I suppose with these things, it's probably just a good caveat to keep in mind that whilst these are things that may have slowed our progressions. They may not always be things that we regret 
or that we would take back or anything like that. But I'll let you go, DC. What do you what do you have coming to mind, mate? Um, God, I think for me, if I probably reflect back on my on my lifting over the years and more so my competitive season, you know, last season, I probably left it too late, too, too long to compete. Like I, yes, I I set this sort of goal of competing like down the track when I first started lifting, but which served me well in terms of building that, 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 I guess, lean tissue and, and muscle maturity really. But I do think back and I'm like, I should have competed when I was a teen. Like that would have been a, a ton of fun when I first got into bodybuilding and, you know, not, not, not left it for this sort of perfectionist, mentality which i sometimes do go down that route of like you know i'm not going to get on stage until i've got x physique or x frame or this level of competitiveness which i'm sure a lot of listeners can be sort of in a similar boat like there's no almost perfect time to compete you can always make improvements so if i if i look back not that it isn't necessarily held me back from a progression standpoint but it certainly held me back having that perfectionist mindset from like an experience of competing um, sort of frame of mind or mindset so probably having a bit bit too much of a perfectionist mindset in ways can obviously you know hold you back um yeah that probably that and also if i think back as well when i first really got into lifting i was very inspired by friends around me that were all you know really into powerlifting and i became incredibly married to the powerlifts as being like the sole way in which I was going to progress my physique by having to do a barbell back squat, having to do a deadlift, conventional deadlift, you know, and having to do a barbell bench press. And my, I felt I was somewhat limited in regards to my understanding at the time when I was first sort of starting university that as long as you've got a heavy hinge pattern, a heavy squat pattern, you know, heavy press and a heavy row of some sort that you can prioritize doesn't necessarily need to be the powerlifts in specific, especially if you're a bodybuilder, right? the brush in which we can use to paint our canvas, which is our physique is much wider than obviously the constraints within a, within a powerlifters uh, focus. So I think that in a way did, did hold me back because I was so married to this idea of, you know, improving my one RM and things like that. But I also had a very bodybuilding focus at the time. So it sort of, in a way, had a little bit of conflicting goals, I believe. And I, I definitely accrued my um, array of injuries as well, which, set me back at the time. And if I'd only looked back and gone, hey, I don't really need to be performing a conventional deadlift. I could be doing an RDL. I'm still gonna get great like hamstring progression, glute progression. Hey, I don't need to be doing a back squat. Like I tore the AS, the, uh, the, the labral in my hip because I was just so adamant that I needed to back squat with a, with a barbell. And it's like, I don't need to do that. And I've made so much more progress by prioritizing other movements since then. So they're probably the two main things that have uh, have held me back, I guess. Yep. You, Jack? Yeah, well, firstly, on what DC said, I think that's uh, some good wisdom for many people who also feel like they might have to do that. I'm sure we've all had people, maybe even you, Lawrence, who come into your clinic and like, they're just a bit perplexed when you suggest things other than the barbell bench press or the deadlift or the squat and uh, especially if people have access to like hack squat or smith machine squats like it's it's uh, it's a game changer for especially people with different different biomechanics but for me probably uh, a bit of a different one for you guys but actually like injuries and not just injuries but also like the the manifestation of injuries and the psychosomatic element of them because i think everyone manifests stress in different ways like some people get stressed and they eat some people get stressed and they get anxious, I guess. They might cry, uh, that sort of stuff. And for me, like I manifest injuries, which is it, sometimes there has to be an injury there to actually get worse with stress. Other times, like, for example, I've, I had some knee issues towards uh, the end of last year and this and start of this year. And I'm a bit, there's a lot, there's a bit more on my plate at the moment uh, due to reasons you guys know, but the listeners don't, which I'll release in good time. But like for example, my knee's been getting a bit sore lately and there's there's really no indication why it should. And um, over the years, like I've managed to uh, manage that a lot better. Like it doesn't really bother me anymore. But like I know in 2018, I, I got had a back injury which set me back way longer than it should have because 
I probably had about two or three months worth of pain in association with the injury. But then after that, the other five, six months was purely psychosomatic, me just convincing myself that I, that I should be in pain or that I had an injury. And yeah, like it's not, it's not a huge deal, but it's something that uh, like I, I personally manage um, and I'm just, I'm still not the, very, the best person at dealing with injuries. I often manifest them as much worse than they actually are. Yeah, that's a fascinating one, man, because the relationship between pain and injury onset and stress is so well known at this point. Like, I think mm. when I was on Alana's podcast, they even mentioned the study that um, sort of looked at college division one NFL players or American football players, or whatever. And the periods of the year where academic stress was high, had a higher injury occurrence rate compared to when physical stress was high, which just shows you what an impact the psychological aspect can have. And it's really hard because, you know, especially managing that sort of thing with patients and athletes is like, you're, you're not trying to tell them like it's in your head, but you're also trying to explain to them that, that their psychological well-being has a huge impact on not only their perception of pain, but their perception on the outlook of how the pain is going to progress, like whether or not it's going to get better. Is this going to take a short amount of time or a long period of time? So that's a really interesting one, mate. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's going to be one of those things where you just need to kind of keep working at it. I feel like you've mm. gotten better with it. I can even reflect like a couple of years ago where, you know, we were constantly going back and forth on the voice notes about like a little niggle that you'd have, but I mm. feel like it's something that's just going to be a work in progress. Yeah, it can catastrophize your uh, your injuries. Hey, you get a small niggle, and it's like, no. oh god, I'm not going to be able to do this movement for this many months. And oh my god, what's my programming going to look like then? And oh god, that means I'm I might be not getting an adequate training stimulus. And oh shit, I'm oh, detraining. I'm never might as well stop training now. And may as well. It's <laughs> like oh, no. yeah, it just goes down that route. So completely understand the uh, the, the difficulty mm. with um with injury management for sure. What about you, Lawrence? Yeah, I think maybe a little bit different to you guys, like whilst I can understand DIY's point, like obviously having a relationship with someone who's not as entrenched in the bodybuilding world, you have to make compromises here and there. Like I kind of think sometimes that if I was just a single guy who did bodybuilding, I probably would, you know, extremely rarely go out, probably always eat my exact meals, always get to bed at the same time. But obviously that is not the case. And I am glad for that because I definitely think I live a lot more having people who are outside the sport as friends and obviously having Gemma who, you know, does sort of keep me social and that sort of thing, which I think is really good for me. Um, but as I mentioned before, like that's a trade-off that I'm willing to make and I'm going to make it 10 times out of 10 um, because it means spending quality time with those people. And especially when you're in an off season and you have the ability to do that and it's not going to, impair your progress towards like a prep or anything like that but I think for me it was the dawning of how to train really hard I think just came later than I'd hoped when I reflect back on my training career like when I think of the progress that I've made in my lifts in these last two to three years and the intensity that I'm at to train at now I just wish I could I wish I had that sooner and I almost wish I had matured in the gym a bit sooner in terms of being able to take it there from an intensity perspective. Like I can even think of sessions that you and I had, Jack, where, mm -hmm. you know, I was having such a slow eccentric on the leg press and make sure it got so deep. And you were like, mate, I reckon you could do like another two or three plates per side. So I sort of had Remember to go the session, with, yeah. yeah, down at base sides. So I had to go with the weight that you recommended. And I did the same amount of reps with pretty similar technique. And I was like, man, like, and you sort of think to yourself like, oh, have I just been pissing away progress for the last two years, not lifting as heavy as I could? And look, it's always going to be something like, and we'll all have that. Like we all have those probably nagging things. Like I wish I'd just done that a bit better. And that's probably a testament just to our personalities and being bodybuilders. That's kind of what we're like. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all adding to the picture. And we just hope that each year we can keep building on our ability to train and stuff like that. But I definitely think that would be mine. Yeah, just learning how to train really hard and just come in there a bit sooner mm. well i mean you are a couple of years younger than us as well so i mean very true mate i'm just a baby just a kid you've only just matured 
Yeah, yeah. So but I think that's one of those things. It's like, it's also, and I made a post about this the other day. It's also about who you train with. Like, if you're always going to train by yourself, it's very hard to actually see if there is another gear that you can go to because, well, what do you have to compare it to? And yeah, you can watch people train, but I think it's only when you're, you know, sitting with someone and they're telling you, you have five more on this set where you can actually gauge what high intensity training is. Mm. And I think there's always going to be levels to that. You know, like I said, on the post, there's going to be instances where I probably still have that realization where I go far out, like I could have been given it more. And I think even the best people are having that. So I don't think it's something to be, you know, ashamed of, um, but it is just something I wish I'd maybe come a little bit sooner. I feel like training hard is like a learned skill as well, right? Like you, mm. you learn how to train hard. Like you learn how to train smart, you learn how to train hard as well. So it's kind of that natural progression of starting in the gym, being a little hesitant to progress and, and increase the weights and then learning that, okay, I actually can comfortably increase the weight here and train, you know, damn hard. So I don't think you've lost too many years to, to be honest. I hope not, mate. I hope not. I guess time will tell, but I thought we'd move on to another question, boys, a bit more of a lighthearted one. So it asks, what were your jobs before the fitness industry? So I think for us, this is sort of our first kind of career, I guess. But maybe we could just talk about maybe a few of the jobs we had growing up and that sort of thing. So we'll circle back around to Mr. Yates. So I was actually a chef, but it was only a chef at Red Rooster, unfortunately. <laughs> Worst yeah, of all I, the fast foods as well. <laughs> well, probably the best for nearly a bodybuilder, I reckon. Like, you know, high quality uh, chicken breast and uh, chips. But yeah, that I've was actually my had first Red Rooster, so I can't, I can't really comment. To really? Be fair. I'm convinced Red Rooster has to be a front for like organized crime because who's going there? Who's buying Red Rooster? I'll tell you, buying Red Rooster are the families that come home that can't be fucked cooking, and then they buy a whole chicken and chips instead of buying a whole KFC box. But you know, which, in my opinion, they're already doing it wrong. Like you got KFC, you got Red Rooster next to each other. I know which one I'd be going to, but yeah, I know that was the only other job that I ever worked at. So apart from being a PT. Well, mate, we're actually then brothers in the chicken industry because my first job was at Leonard's Chicken, which was like a butchery that exclusively sells like chicken products. Sheesh, that was a time. That was a very dodgy job, but this is where I got my start. And then it was grilled after that, which was pretty cool. And then power socks. So I guess that's maybe classed as entering the fitness industry a little bit. But yeah, that was me. Years of training, DY, did you have to do to get into Red Rooster? How many you were like, how many years of actual training? God, I was on the like a qualified chef, didn't, didn't you? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There was just a lot of online modules that I had to uh click through Q and A, yeah. you know, like the four, four multiple choice. I just which one seems the most accurate, yeah, mm. yeah, but it was it was a hard gig. I bet. What about you, DC? So I've actually never had a job outside of the fitness industry, to be honest. Yeah. So when I was at school, I didn't have a job at the time because I was um, a competitive swimmer. Just all my time was dedicated to swimming 10 sessions a week. And when I graduated from school, I moved to moved from Cairns to the Gold Coast and I went to the university, um, Griffith University there. And within my first year, I started working there as a gym instructor slash, I guess, receptionist at the university gym. And, um, and that's kind of where I got my foot in the door, really, in terms of overall career. But yes, I've never actually had an official job outside of the fitness industry. Very cool. And you, Jack? Yeah, well, I, I actually started in a kitchen as well. I don't, I don't know if this technically counts because it was unpaid. I, I volunteered as part of like a school program, but it was in like a deli. I used to help like prepare different foods that they would serve. And that was in, I think I was in 2013 or 2014. And then 2015 was, I actually worked at a shoe store called Sketches, which uh, the uh, demographic there is mainly elderly people, retirees. Don't <laughs> nurses get around the Sketches as well? Big nurse shoe, I think. I think they do. Yeah. Well, I, I worked at Sketches in Dupili, which there's a, the older, there's a, more of an older population there, I guess. And that that only lasted a couple months until like I, I wandered next door to Optus and applied to Optus and then worked there for a decent amount of time, about a year again, while I was at university. And after that, I then 
got a job at UQ Sports and worked there as like sort of a personal trainer, but mainly just uh, worked on the gym floor, which was a pretty easy gig to be fair. And then after that, after finishing dietetics, I went straight into TBD. Yeah, nice, man. Hmm. So it's uh, only you and I make me and DIY grind and on that hospitality nonsense. I feel like everyone, it should be like the army back in the day. Like you have to do a year of hospitality so that you are an actual respectable customer. Because when you work in food service, you can tell the people who have been behind the counter before because they're just that bit understanding. They're a bit better with you. They're a bit kinder. So I feel like it, it should be a mandatory service for all Australians. I think retail is harder to work in than hospitality. That's just my opinion. Mate, you're getting paid so much better in retail though. You're getting, I was getting peanuts at Grilled. Absolute mm. peanuts. <laughs> there it is. Damn, Jack, you worked a whole array of jobs. You got fuck, Optus there. You've got yeah. goddamn sketches. You're at the deli too. Jesus. Yeah, when I look back on it, I, it wasn't much of a grind. Like I just it was kind of like a natural, I didn't even have to work to, to be honest, but like, it was just, I've always been someone who's fairly proactive in terms of just doing stuff. And uh, yeah, Optus especially was a good gig. Like you got commission and you got a decent hourly rate on top of that. So it's nice. Have you ever worn sketches though? <laughs> no, no, not unless I was working. <laughs> I threw them out as soon as I left that job. I even had to pay for the shoe. They didn't even give them to me free. Really? Yeah. That's <laughs> I'm just picturing That's how few people buy like, sketches. Oh, is that they make their employees <laughs> buy their shoes? Yeah, people coming in who's like, "Oh, what's so good about this shoe?" And you're like, "Mate, I've got no idea." Like, there's platypus down the down the road. <laughs> yeah. Platypus literally was down the down the aisle. <laughs> really? <as well>. yeah. <laughs> All right, boys, we've got another one here. And the question asker says, I'm having sinus surgery in a bulk. Should I continue to maintain or cut in my recovery time? So I guess they're asking, you know, what should their plan be whilst they're going to be recovering? And I probably suppose the first thing is going to be like, well, how much are you actually able to train? Because if you're not able to provide a sufficient stimulus to the muscles that you're trying to grow, I guess a surplus is probably not as warranted because you're not really going to be giving yourself the sufficient stimulus to have that go toward muscle gain. But then you sort of think about is a deficit really the best thing because you're trying to recover from a surgery. So I guess there's a few different ways that you could take this one. DY, you can start us off, mate. I would definitely not be in a deficit if I wasn't training like at like a hundred percent. Cause obviously the chance to lose muscle there is just a lot higher. Like I would, I would, I would pretty much keep calories maintenance level. Even you could even probably go with a slight surplus if you wanted to be a little bit more safe on the safer side, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't be in a deficit. Just chance to lose muscle mass, especially if you're not training. Like if you can't train at all, then I, w I wouldn't be in a deficit. I would at least hold mm -hmm. maintenance cows, maybe even bump the protein up just a touch, you know, but yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. I don't, I don't think this will be a long-winded answer. Like, especially if your goals are primarily hypertrophy focused, then being in a deficit isn't the best idea if you can't train or can't train optimally. And yeah, it depends on the length. If it's only a week, like that's that's uh, not a very long time. It doesn't matter too much. But I think a, a longer period of recovery probably shouldn't be in a deficit. Ito. <laughs> I don't really have a whole lot to add, to be honest. I think if you're in a calorie surplus and you're not training, well, you're not really liberating that energy for the accrual of new tissue and you're in a deficit and you're not training, well, then you're not really providing your body with a stimulus and a means to hold on to the lean tissue that you've built. So your best bet through trial process of elimination is basically to hold your, hold your calories at maintenance for the, for the period at which you're um, recovering, obviously assuming that your protein is of sufficient amount. So let's say 2.2 grams per kilo of body weight, you know, roughly um, would probably be a, a safe, a safe amount. So yes, I agree. We don't yeah. have those. We don't have those pharmaceutical variables that other people have that we can manipulate and potentially enhance recovery. It's just good old protein and a calorie surplus for us. And creatine. <laughs> creatine, yeah. And some ammonia through those sniffing salts. Yeah. <laughs> All right, boys. If you could take one piece of a fellow host's physique, 
for yourself, what would it be and why? I would take DC's arms because they're massive. Or a close second would be Jack's beard. I was going to say DY's smile. The dimples, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I reckon I'd have to take Lawrence's quads. Oh, oh you. I reckon, uh, I reckon Jack's hammies because they're damn strong. Thank you. Or his glutes. He's got some big old glutes that get very shredded. Yeah, my body fat partitioning there is is whack. So, yeah. DC's uh, got the same issue there. He's fucking walk, <laughs> walking around in tights at World Jim Stafford at the pose and he's fucking carrying a wagon behind him. Dump truck, man. <laughs> Dump truck. Party in the back. He's got like one of them Ford F250s or something parked back there. <laughs> It's all those hip thrusts back in the day. I don't hip thrust much now, to be honest. I I just don't really need to, to, to spend much volume growing my glutes. Just seem to grow by thinking of hip thrusting. So we've maxed out that hip thrust machine there anyway. Six plates. Yes, yes, yes. I have. <laughs> what, uh, what about you, what would Jack? you do? Sorry, you you're the last one to answer that one, mate. Who are you taking? Oh, guess... you, oh, you really went the smile, of course. Yeah, I mean, if I had to give uh, an actual physique attribute, it's tough, man, because I need back the most. So it's whose back do I choose out of you three? That's the I question. Think we can all say, like, if you're choosing podcasts with, like, really, really muscular backs, ours is probably not the one. I think we kind of all need a bit of back. But, hey, that's all right. We're all in this together. I'm just going to double my back volume now. God damn. <laughs> well, I was going to say DC's... <laughs> DC's back has some good uh, width, and but then again, I thought DC, you said you were like biasing more volume to the, to your back anyway. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Would you would you categorize it as a as a weaker point on your physique? I think so. Yeah. I mean, if I have a look at my front profile shot, so like my most muscular, uh, my front symmetry, I think my I have a very strong front shot and. I would like to look at my rear shot and go, hey, that's just so strong. Mm. So when I look at it, I'm like, there's nothing really that sort of sticks out to me. Like, oh, God damn, maybe other than my glutes. So I would like to, you know, make that a bit more of a wow factor. So yes, I've been, I've been biasing a little bit more posterior chain in general. Mm. Yeah, well, I'll give you that generic answer then or some back, but I won't specify who's back. Maybe all of our backs put together. Mm. That would be good. That'd be nice. I've got a question along similar lines. If you could add five kilos of muscle to only one body part on your physique, what would it be? Actually, no, let's make that 10 kilos of muscle, not five. 10 kilos of muscle. Yeah. You could only what? be one, one part of your physique. So you could say like have five kilos in each bicep if you wanted to. I'd probably Ooh. say the carbs, hey, 10 kilos of carbs. <laughs> God damn. And just never train them again. You'd be walking around with a ball sack on the back of your legs. Giant People would think it's synthol, I think. On the, on the back of your legs. Yeah, but would it have to be biceps or could it be like arms, like buys and tries? No, no, that's cheating. So it'd have to be like one muscle, so straight biceps. You'd have peaks like nothing. Jeez, five kilos of straight mass? Massive Ronnie Coleman peak of the bicep, but then you go into that tricep shot and it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I so feel you like it would have to be back group, like one muscle yeah yeah and it, i guess it would go on both sides essentially but that means you couldn't just say quads you'd have to say like fastest lateralis yeah okay i think i'm taking i'm taking the rhomboids then <laughs> i think i'd have to go chest i feel like it would be the most uh... well i got you got two chest muscles so that's the thing Oh god! Well, I'm Three, not picking the mark. Oh, yeah. I'm not going. I'm not going the pec minor. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine ten kilos. Just never see the thing. <laughs> oh jeez! Probably go latissimus dorsi. That would be yeah. That would be a close one. Hmm. Yeah. I would either I feel go like the... my width is not as bad as the lack of thickness though. So that's probably hmm. why I take more mid back stuff. If I was giving a silly answer, I'd, I would say delts or like the lateral delts, just because I think that would be cool to see extra five kilos there. But realistically, probably the rhomboids as well. That being said, your Instagram followers might absolutely peak. You added 10 kilos of, of uh, 
of, of pure lean tissue to that glute max. <laughs> <laughs> the wrong sort of followers. I don't want them. <laughs> You'd be looking like, have you seen the uh, reels of that guy who wears like the tight white pants and just like runs through? The yeah, yeah. I reckon that probably would what Jack's ass would look like with another 10 kegs on it. Isn't he the guy that wears the, like he's got the green screen and he'll be at like the, He'll be out the football or something like that. And yeah. there's a green screen behind him. It looks like he's in a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Well, the one he's like, he's doing like a UFC fight. <laughs> he's got That's like right. the green screen behind that. him. Oh, man, it's so good. Oh, God. All right, uh, next question. And this is one of my homies. Shout out, Sam Adam. Would you rather work every set for six to eight reps or every set for 15 to 20? He actually asked me this in person the other day and I could not answer it. I really... Really not quite sure. So interesting to hear what you boys have to say. I'd say six to eight. Get in, yeah. get out. It's done. I think six to eight would probably be uh, less mental power. Like, you know, like, like when, you, when you're sitting there and you've got to go for a hard set of 15 to 20 on like leg press, like what would you rather, six to eight or like 15 to 20? Like, I think it would have to be six to eight. But then what about like biceps, triceps, side delts like imagine only having to do those in a six to eight rep range like imagine doing six to eight of like a rope push down yeah. not ideal that can still work you can but still I mean, get for sure eight, eight is quite different from six i know it's only two reps but i mean on a hack squat or an rdl it feels like an eternity going from six to eight or you could yeah. you could potentially do like eight reps and then do like a rest pause so then it technically be more than one set but it would be more reps what about a 10 to 12 can we get a 10 to 12 in there i think that because that's the key if you're, if that was an option we're all taking that yeah 100 percent. five to 30 would be good <laughs> it's interesting though, to th- the, the means of being able to, to build muscle mass like that hypertrophy range which back in the day the whole process was like the whole thought process was like, okay eight to 12 is like the magical number right and now we've had an understanding that it's actually not really so much the rep range itself it's just the means of being able to recruit high threshold motor units through fatigue which is basically working to that close you know zero reps in reserve across multiple reps reps uh, and loads given that it's potentially sufficient i think there's some research that shows like less than let's say 30 percent of your one rm just may not be sufficient enough of a stimulus but that whole hypertrophy range, you know, you could you could do three to thirty would be a viable range. But then when we get into the whole, well, what's sort of more of a viable option uh, in terms of our approach? If you think potentially like sitting in the the three rep range for a leg extension, like it may not just be a viable uh, rep range to work within for for a load that's going to be comfortable for a knee extensor, you know, an isolated move, movement versus looking at doing like 30 reps for a back squat, a barbell back squat, and just the cardiovascular component to that. And just how just emotionally taxed you would be trying to rep out 30 reps on a barbell back squat. It makes sense that kind of like in that middle ground might be sort of the most comfortable position to sit that where it's not so cardiovascularly taxing. You can choose an appropriate load. The risk of injury is not as high for being, you know, only reps of like twos or threes. Seems like a more, you know, viable option. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I agree completely. Like it's, yeah, I don't, I'm lost for words. So <laughs> damn, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? It is, yeah. Despite not saying what's the, the magic word from DC. Bespoken? Bespoken, yes. <laughs> right, let me just check, check my notepad. Yeah, I got it written down. There we go. All good. I got it in place. Tom right, Blatch would be happy with you without doing 50 rep barbell back squats. So. You'd be very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 100%. All right, we've got question. I think any worse. Sorry, DC, but- I cut you off there, mate. But we do have another question. Thoughts on adding salt to your pre-workout for a pump. Is there any actual benefit to this? Jack, are you still doing this, you psychopath? I am, indeed, yes. Oh, dude, I tried it once, never again. Worst thing ever. Well, I've, I've revised my technique, so I don't actually add it to the pre-workout now. I add it to, like, just a shot of water, have that before my pre-workout. Mm. So I don't have to drink a salty pre. I've actually done it two ways. I've done the pre-workout, but then if I forget to put the salt in the pre-workout, I actually put it in the intra-workout. But it's not so much intra-workout, like in the intra-workout that it's just overpowering and it's awful mm. to drink. Like 
I I don't even notice notice that it's in there, and you know I give it like a nice pinch. Yeah. You know you can buy like salt salt tablets from like the pharmacy, mm. six hundred milligrams, and so that would be potentially a viable option rather than sitting there with your shaker <laughs> <laughs> before you go to your session. Bit of pepper in there while you're at it. Why not hit it? That being said, I don't really notice the benefits of the pumps when I do add the salt to either the pre-workout or the intra-workout. I just do it because I guess something in my mind like tells me like, Hey, this could get me a better pump, but I actually haven't sat there and been like, all right, today I'm going to have no salt. And then the next day I'm actually going to have the salt and let's see the mm-hmm. difference between the uh, pumps. And I'm never really dehydrated. So I don't really need yeah. the salt in that aspect as well. Yeah, I think it might help people, certain people more. So people who might have low lower blood pressure because salt acutely influences blood pressure. So that's one population who could benefit. Also people who train more in a fasted state or they only train after one meal. And therefore, if they're not adding any salt or sodium to their meal or the meal itself is low in sodium, then having, for example, that's why I do it. I have cereal for breakfast and that doesn't have any salts. And that's why I personally have it because I don't have meals prior to the breakfast either. Yeah, because that's the other point I was going to make. Like if you had like chicken and rice for your pre-workout meal, you could just salt the crap out of that and get your salt in that way. I actually had my uh, first experience with like chicken and rice and I added some almond butter, like a real bro. And it was actually good, man. It was delicious. Highly right. On my peak week, I used to do like, like I would make the meal super easy on peak week. So they'll just very easy to replicate, very easily digestible. I used to just have chicken, rice and peanut butter. So it'd be like protein, carbs and fats. And it kind of tasted like sauteed chicken. When Mm. you're sitting there in prep, I guess everything tastes good. (laughs) I'll tell myself that anyway. Yeah. Can you say that the the emphasis for like a pre-workout meal is obviously something that is like, has a high glycemic index. So it's, you know, more readily absorbed. And I do believe that if you start mixing like macronutrients, fats, protein, carbohydrates together and add a more complex meal with higher fiber and higher fats and things like that, it's almost difficult to coin that as like a pre-workout meal. It's just like a meal before you train because it's not necessarily going to contribute that much to you vastly rising your, your blood glucose levels and therefore assisting your, your training bout. So I could almost argue what, what are we talking about in terms of it being... A meal for an actual pre-workout meal, you know, because certainly like adding a ton of almond butter to your uh, your meal sort of an hour before training, like I guarantee you, you're not liberating that and are using that in that session whatsoever. Depends how you define it. Like if you if it's a pre-workout meal and you're literally just saying, I'm eating this pre-workout, then I guess it technically is a pre-workout meal, but maybe in your terms, it's it's not. Yeah, well, it's like people who like that's so for example, they have like a a bowl of oats, a giant bowl of oats, and they add like peanut butter to it and this and that. And then they, you know, they train in like 45 minutes after it. And it's like, man, I feel so fueled. It's like, it's, it's unlikely that that is really going to like raise your blood glucose level significantly that it's going to affect your training bout in 45 minutes. Whereas maybe if you had Powerade powder or something like that, you know, or maple syrup or something that's like quick high glycemic index, well, that's obviously going to benefit your, your training bout. Jack, did but you have I, the lollies for intro this week? Well, not this week because I'm deloading, but last week I did. Last week, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, you like the um that's a typical like bikini girl in prep. They've got like a huge box of like three sour patch kids in They're like, yes, best mm. thing ever. I honestly just went to Woolies and bought the cheapest uh like high glycemic carbs I could find. And then I've actually spoke to Damo and who trains at my gym and we were discussing like what's the cheapest option and option number one is like brewers dextrose so it's literally what uh, people put in to make beer and it's just plain dextrose essentially i think and then the second was uh a type of cordial which i'll probably buy next because like the lollies i'm not a massive fan of them because like you have to especially as like food focus goes down and appetite reduces like even the act of chewing them is I just want to drink something and get it get it down me and continue training. You can buy some multidextrin powder for, as an mm. example. Like yeah, but things like that. How much is that? Do you know? Uh, I think it's pretty cheap. Hey, mm. it's like a kilo for twenty five bucks, thirty dollars, yeah. like that. 
Like yeah. we're talking real budget now. We're like trying to find the most ultimately cheap. Like I don't know. I just have that Gen Tech pure carbs. I think it comes out to be like a dollar a serving or something. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I have and as I, well. Pretty cheap. I, I just add in some diet right cordial in there to give it some flavor, and then off I go. Tara's been rubbing off on me. She's the uh, the discount queen, so can't uh, can't be buying that Gen Tech stuff. <laughs> Especially when you're sponsored by that VPA. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Do they do any carbs? They do, but they haven't sent me any, so they need to send me some. This is Jack's an official notice. VPA, yes. send Jack some carbs. Jack will be sending a very worded message to them. Very serious message. Imagine what it's got back at RDL if you had a few extra carbs in him. Jesus. He's setting that record. <laughs> Eating kefi. Speaking of, have you boys uh, had much of a look on the site of late? I'm like halfway through AJ's big long leg day video with Loz. Mm. But man, it's like an hour and a half. It's pretty good content. Like if you're wanting to learn how to like structure a leg day and actually order your exercises and stuff like that, I, I did find it quite quite useful. Yeah, I've been, I watched the live webinar, not the live version, but the the replay of the one AJ did with Lee, who's the head of UK DFBA. And I thought that was interesting because like UKDFBA is paired with INBA now and they recently had the the Worlds, I think it was. And I'm not sure if you guys saw some of the competitors uh, from the Worlds. I think it was in Italy. And so, yeah, phenomenal athletes there, especially that guy, Daniel, who who won the amateur show. Like he sneaked into the amateur show somehow due to like a, a technicality or a specific rule that he was allowed to do it. And then he ended up, accepting his pro card right after and then winning the pro show and yeah i know we, we've shared his physique a few times in in the bdu chat yeah he had an ex- insane physique absolutely unreal sometimes there's this people that come come through the sport and they're just like genetic outliers you know where they've just got like perfect portions muscularity you know still quite young and it's like god damn this is mm. less is like where you can take it as a as a natural athlete right yeah I did also hear through the that webinar that like an Australian physique competitor won, but I, I don't know who it was. So, uh, yeah. So the there was a girl that's uh, coached under Scott Hipwell, uh, the figure athlete. She won the world championship. She she was a pro and she went over there and she won that. Can't remember the exact name though. I'll uh, I'll share it in the group chat and we can uh, share it on our page. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure someone will inform us anyway. I know we have some INBA listeners. Yeah, someone, I can't remember who it was, but they sent me something this week and it was about like this new federation. I'll see if I can get the message up quickly, but it's basically like a new federation in Australia. And it's, here we go. It's called NatBod Body Sport. Have you guys heard of this? Yes. I have heard of NatBod, yeah. I've actually got an athlete I've just onboarded who competed with NatBod um, not too long ago, a couple, couple of years back. Yeah, so I think what kind of sets it apart? Like, why, how is, is it any different from just ICN and 9BA and stuff? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'll be 100% honest about its sort of foundation, but I believe it's, yeah, just a new federation that's up and coming and trying to gain um athletes and, and competitors so yeah good 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 luck to them 100 not entirely not entirely sure i haven't seen a lot of their competitions but um i think it's a you know within their first couple of years of um of operations yeah i mean that would be tough to be honest like setting up a federation and then getting a good competitor base that would be uh kind of like a new coach setting up their client base like it would be quite similar for a federation and trying to break through the pre-existing ones which have been around for so long like INBA and ICN there's a lot of feds now that are coming out like you know there's that YNF over in uh, Western Australia that your natural federation with the INBA ICN still in there WMBF might even be making an appearance Mm. you know come later on yeah I mean let's hope so I do hope so yeah not sure what's the deal with WMBF over here because they had that affiliation with AWMBS. Yeah, I actually in, you know, I'm hoping to head over to the the Worlds next year and I emailed a, the event organizer and just basically 
sort of said, this is my situation. Like, how can I get myself over? And she said that because Australia doesn't have a men's show that grants you an automatic qualification for the Worlds because there's no competition in your country. Um, but then she mentioned like sometimes people, you know, if they want to do an additional show, they'll qualify over in New Zealand. Mm. But I mean, if I can get it automatically, that's one less plane <laughs> ticket. So it's a pretty yeah. easy decision. I actually spoke with, with Bob Bell a while back, who's the yeah the president and of, of WNBF. And he said pretty much the exact same thing, like for Australian competitors or competitors where we don't really have like a qualifying competition here. That's that's viable. Um the the premise is that you could pay your um WNBF membership and you could potentially go over and compete at worlds on like almost like an invitation basis. Um but obviously within the amateur the amateur lineup. Um so yeah, could could be an option. I think it would be always a matter of just reaching out and saying, hey, like just almost confirming, hey, is it still viable for me to be able to do this? But that would be really exciting because that's that's where I want to I want to take it as well. Like compete here in ICN again, but also look at competing overseas for WNBF if I can get the chance. Yeah, mate, that's the plan. So fingers crossed we can all go that way. But boys Brandon probably... did it. Sorry. Yeah, he did. And he was the one who I asked about it. Um yeah. and he sort of pointed at me that direction. So yeah, that'll be the plan if it all goes to plan. But yeah, boys, that's gonna be uh about an hour or so. So is there anything you guys wanted to touch on before we head off? That should be good. About DY. Specifically. What about? Am I going to be using sniffing salts anymore? No, just about the tagging situation when people tag us on Instagram. So, yeah, we've had a few people when they attempt to tag all of us, their story gets taken down. So just use the Instagram tagging feature where you go into the extra little bits and bobs and then tag us through that rather than just typing at dy.fit. Um, or just tag bodybuilding down under and uh, we'll share it on our page. Yeah. So my account's pretty much like kind of flagged. So like somewhat shadow banned. So if you tag me with like the at DY oh, fit, it would just take you, it would just take the post that you're resharing down completely. But now if you go up to the top right where all the drop down menus are and you use the at mention, you can tag me there and it doesn't actually take it down at all. So for all the people that keep tagging that, it just keeps coming down. DY's a bot. Just be careful. You've been in When you get the pro card, you get a shadow ban as well, apparently. So don't be getting it. Where was my shadow ban? <laughs> it's not popular enough. Shit. <laughs> well, yeah. So good listeners, make sure you heed that advice if you're wanting to tag us all. But please continue to do so. We always love being able to share them onto our own. It's a great encouragement for us that people are listening to the show and we just continue to be encouraged by the listens and the downloads. So thank you to everyone who is tuning in each week. Make sure you also go head over to Natural Bodybuilding Worldwide. Give them a follow and support that member site as well because they support the show as well. But a big thank you to you guys for tuning in. So from DY, from DC, from Jack and from myself, we thank you very much for tuning in and we will catch you next week. Bye.